2022 Longmont City Council session to order. Welcome everybody. Um, as a reminder, this meeting is going to be, can be viewed at the live stream at www.longmontcolorado.gov. To view the live stream, you can go to, uh, well, longmontcolorado.gov or the city's YouTube channel at longmontpublicmedia.org or Comcast channels 8 or 880. Can we have the roll call, please? Absolutely. Mayor Peck? Present. Mayor Pro Tem Rodriguez? Here. Council Member Hidalgo Faring? Here. Council Member Martin? Here. Council Member Waters? Here. Council Member Yarbrough? Here. Mayor, you have a quorum. Thank you. Let's stand for the pledge. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Anyone wishing to speak at public invited to be heard will need to add his or her name to the list outside the council chambers. Only those on the list will be invited to speak. Uh, do any of the councilors have motions to direct the city manager to add uh, agenda items to future agendas? Councilor Martin. Uh, yes, Mayor Peck, I hope this is the right point at which to introduce this. Um, I sit on the Boulder uh, Consortium of Cities, and uh, they have a request uh, for a person from for Longmont to appoint a person um, to participate in the living wage discussion um, that is is going on for Longmont, um, Longmont or Boulder County cities, and. Uh, with Longmont wages being what they are, um, anything that is legal under that living wage state statute would not actually affect wages in Longmont. Um, but um, it's probably better to have the cooperation um, include Longmont as a big part of the, re the region. So I feel personally that it could be done um, without uh, harming the Longmont economy one way or the other, regardless of how you feel about that. So I would move to put a discussion of uh, appointing a participant uh, on a future agenda soon, because they need it. <laughs> I would second that. Do we have any discussion? Let's just vote. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm not in live meeting yet. I. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that passes. That passes unanimously. Thank you for that motion, Marsha. Here I am. So I have a couple of uh, things that I would like to uh, present to add to future agendas. The first one is. Um, and I'm doing this for the discussion on council. We've had some feedback on the state's family leave policy, so I would like to move that we put on a future agenda the, uh, to bring back that discussion. I'll second. 
Okay, it's I've moved that uh, moved by Joan Peck, seconded by Councillor Hidalgo Ferring. Do we have any discussion? See number seven that Councillor Morris both of us. Um, they're both red now. So yeah, I don't know what's going on, but I would I, I would like a little clarification about what would be discussed because I thought we handled that. We did handle it. Um, I have gotten feedback from some counselors as well as the public that they felt that we did not get all the information we needed, especially from the state, to make a decision. So I am just putting out putting it out there. If you wish to rediscuss this, we can bring it back on a future agenda. If not, your vote will will show. Uh, Councillor Waters. And just for the sake of yeah. clarification, is your motion to reconsider? No, my motion is to bring it back uh, on a future agenda for discussion uh, with perhaps a state representative or an author of the bill or just to satisfy to see if we would like to reconsider. Just as a parliamentary consideration, haven't we dealt with the issue? We voted on the issue. We did. Uh, those on the prevailing side could could move to reconsider, um, but this is a this is a decision that was made by council. So we're so I'm not clear what what we're what you're mo moving or you're proposing that we do. Um, I am proposing that we put it on a future agenda to r look at the issue again from both sides, the city side, and have a representative from the state, and then if we would like to make a motion to reconsider at that time than we could, but... Um, just to, again, just for the sake of the procedure, w when did we vote on that? Uh, two weeks ago. So this would be our net... Is this the first time we would have had a chance to reconsider? Yes. So I think if you're going to vote to reconsider, it has to occur in the next meeting, moved by someone on the prevailing side of that motion or that decision. Otherwise, I'm wondering, I guess I could ask, we could ask Eugene, it, what's the what's the parliamentary restriction or prohibition on bringing items back that have already been decided? And how many times we can deal with the same issue in a term of the council? Good question. Just so we get it, just procedure of, of course. Get it right. That's of course. all. Mayor and Council Eugene May, City Attorney. I'm looking up. It's Rule 19. It's generally the first meeting at the first meeting at which you can take formal final action would be the motion to reconsider. Is this the first formal meeting? This would be a this is a study session, so it's it's really referring, I think, to the next regular right. session. I can't remember exactly which meeting we considered the family. It was the last regular one, and then we had uh, the LHA meeting last week. Yeah. So and it would yeah, be yeah. the next. So I'm I. I am putting it on the agenda. Bring it back at the next regular meeting. For reconsideration and discussion. Okay, procedurally, that's is that the. I'm not. I, I don't know either. To get it right. <laughs> uh, would it, it would be? Do, you, would, do we do this at the next regular meeting to reconsider to bring it back in the next meeting after that? I think procedurally is the way it goes, but I'm no parliamentarian. According to the rules of procedure, you would consider the motion to reconsider at the next regular meeting. Yeah. I okay. think that's the one way we could get it back in front of us for reconsideration. So this motion 
we don't need this motion. We'll just do it I'm next not time. trying to be an obstruction. It's just, just trying to get right. You could put it on a, the next regular session agenda that's to what reconsider. I, that's exactly what I wanted to do. So I move, <laughs> just to restate, to put the uh, fam State Family Leave Act on the next regular session to reconsider. Do you still second that? I do still second that. Okay. Are there, is there any other discussion? Let's vote. Oh, I didn't. That's right. <laughs> to turn it off and turn it back on. Okay. Councilor Hidalgo Ferry. Okay, thank you, um, Mayor. Um, so I am going to be speaking in support of um, bringing this back. Um, the reason why, so prior to when, when the packet came out, you know, I had reached out to a few employees. You know, it was six. It wasn't anything extensive. But um, there, it seemed like from the folks that I spoke to, they were like, oh, yeah, I like the idea of having a choice. But they didn't really have, and it wasn't until they, they listened to our conversation at council that they were like, wait a minute, you know, and kind of wanting to go back. I think there was a misunderstanding that, and I didn't clarify this in conversations I had with, with employees, was, um, and it was more like, you know, just lower paying, just your regular um, workforce out there. And they, when they came back and listened, it was like, hey, you know, we didn't realize that this was the actual ballot initiative that we voted for. And, you know, so there was, seemed like there was some lack of, so there was some misunderstanding. The other, um, the other piece of it, so one thing that prompted me to vote for it was um, the fact that people had that option to, to back out. The thing that as I started you know, delving a little bit more, and you know, shame on me for not looking at this beforehand. Um, you know, my concern was the sustainability piece. You know, like we pay into para. We really depend on new employers, new teachers to come in to cover para, to pay for para. Otherwise, we lose our retirement. So, how you know, would it be sustainable if only a handful of employees utilize this insurance, the family um, insurance? and the majority of our employees don't, would it be able to sustain itself as a program? So that was my concern. The other thing, when I went on the state site, there was an opportunity to have um, a presentation brought out. Um, you know, and, and looking at that, it was like, well, I really would have liked to have seen that piece as well um, for us to get a, a, a full grasp of what, um, what the implications and what the consequences would be for choosing one side over the other. Um, so that, that, that's my input. Uh, yes, thank you, Mayor Peck. Um, I actually, I felt we've, I feel we voted the right way and I feel that the public mostly thinks that we're taking something away from our employees when in fact we wouldn't accept that there appears to be some rulemakings that aren't there yet. And because of those rulemakings not being there yet, if somebody who um, has something come up in the middle of the plan year or something like that, um, and they didn't opt, opt in at the right time, they might have to wait uh, some number of months before they could get into the plan. And since the city doesn't really gain or lose that much either way, 
um, maybe we should err on the side of conservatism and pull everybody into the plan. Um, so uh, I don't know whether um, we can decide to reconsider this when the rulemaking is done. I mean, not, you know, whether, <sighs> whether we could make a decision like that when we reconsider our vote next week, but I'd like to have more information than that, and so I'm going to vote yes to reconsider. Are there any other comments? <clears throat> Seeing none, let's vote. So that carried unanimously, thank you. I have one other motion, and that is I move uh, to put on a future agenda, hopefully the next week, as a pre-session for council to discuss gun safety laws. Um, and it would be a pre-session before the council meeting. Let's wait, see if, if the next session works. I'm trying to. When is the next, did we have an exec that we were looking at for next week? We did. We, we have one planned for next week. I feel that we should probably do this sooner than later. Um, so I'll just, let me, let me restate that motion then. I am just going to direct staff to put on a future agenda the uh, discussion, a pre-session for council to discuss gun safety laws. As quickly as possible? Yes, please. Okay. So I made that motion, uh, and it was seconded by Councilwoman Hidalgo Ferry. Do we have any discussion? Councilor Waters. Uh, so we're not meeting on the 21st? The 21st is... CML. CML. I'm, I'm kind of... I guess would council be open to a different day if we could? Other than a Tuesday? But I, I'm just, in terms of calendaring, we don't meet again after tonight or we, until, um, we don't meet again after next week until when? The 28th? 28th. All right. <clears throat> that, that's just what I wanted to go. Thanks. I wish it could be uh, sooner than that. Um, Harold, would you be open to throwing out a few dates that, that are not council dates and see if, uh, if the council is open to meeting on an off date? Yeah, I think let us talk. We may be able to postpone it. It's just it's related to okay. some of the development codes that oh. we needed to bring back, and so it'll just delay that. We do need those development so. codes. <laughs> Um, oh, but I mean, if, if this sounds like it's more time sensitive for you all, and so we could move this to the 20, we could move what we had planned to the 28th and slide this one in as a pre-session for next. Thank you. Okay. That would be great. Is there any more discussion? Let's vote. So that carries unanimously. Thank you, Harold, for uh, considering doing that. You and Eugene as well. Okay.
So I do have, are there any, um, do you have any uh, uh, additions to the agenda? I'm sorry, I, I forgot to ask that. No, Mayor, I do not. Okay, thank you. So we have a couple of proclamations tonight. Oh, I did do that out of order. My apologies. It is time for the public invited to be heard, and the first one on our list is Lance Whitaker. You have three minutes, and please state your name and address, Lance. My name is Lance Whitaker. I'm invited to 1750 Collier Street. I've been there approximately 10 years. I've lived in Longmont for about 40 years now. And I've come before the city council today because I've been talking with Doug at city planners about starting a smoke-friendly area here in Longmont for cannabis and tobacco. And he said that I would have to address you guys either on an exemption, a permit, or a license before I could even look at any retail spaces here in Longmont. So I am here today to address you guys on that agenda. We don't usually uh, converse with people at uh public invited to be heard, but if our assistant city manager can take down your name and information, we will research that for you. Okay. Um, Doug at City Planner has also done some research on that. Perfect. With Denver and what their laws are and stuff like that. And he said that I was the first one to address with this, so I'd like to get on the ground floor on this because I know the city only allows four dispensaries in town, so I'd figure they'd probably even allow less areas to smoke in public. So, who would I get a hold of? These ladies right there. Okay. Do you mean, uh-huh. Dawn? Okay. Thank you, Lance. May, if I may yes. interject real quick. Code prohibits this, and so if council wanted to consider it, council would have to direct staff to amend the code to allow that use. Okay. Thank you. Uh, next up is Polly Christensen. Hi. Uh, Polly Christensen, 410 Judson Street, Longmont, Colorado. I have to talk really fast. Um, <laughs> uh, I, ha I am, uh, want to talk about two things. First of all, I want to remind everybody that this is Juneteenth weekend, and a lot of events are happening. On Saturday, there's a Juneteenth Legacy Picnic. This is set up by Betty Nanali, and uh, it's 1230 to 5 o'clock Saturday at the Willow Farm Park, 901 South Fordham. People can attend for free, but if they'd like to purchase food, the cost is $15 per adult and $8 for a child. Uh, people are encouraged to bring their blankets, chairs, and non-alcoholic beverages, and um, it should be fun. The, um, I'm sure that Madeline Woodley will uh, talk about um, 
many of the other events that she and her uh, sister, Reverend Glenda Jackson, have set up. And um, Shakita will talk about the overall thing. So uh, I'm not going to talk about it anymore. But um, do come. It'll be fun and um, informative. And that's the whole idea. Um, so I, I wanted to actually talk about the inclusionary uh, housing program snapshot that is on your agenda to talk about tonight. I think uh, Molly O'Donnell did a wonderful job of presenting all the statistics and everything. I have a few suggestions as somebody who was uh, pretty instrumental in helping set it up in the first place. Um, I would like to uh, see if you would up, consider upping it from 12% to 20%. That's more closer to what is actually needed. Um, Kathy Fedler, who was the former director of housing, has told us numerous times that the fee in lieu was too small. Um, I would suggest that the fee in lieu needs to be considerably more than it is right now. The city needs to buy land, build homes, and not the market. Um, it should also apply to all rental, not just new rentals. Um, and I would strongly advocate for the city to hunt high and low for any kind of penny, and I, I know you're already doing this, from federal and state funds and county funds. Um, and please do not be distracted by the LEDP developer-driven um, initiative for attainable housing. That's... It is important, but it's a distraction from actually getting the affordable housing uh, resolved. So thank you very much. Take care. Come to Juneteenth. Thank you. Strider. Thank you. All of a sudden, I can see out of one eye and I can read out of the other eye, but not both. I'm halfway in the middle. Um, Strider Benston, 951 17th Avenue. Um, guns. Um, I, right after World War II, the corporate billionaire class saw the threat of democracy in this country and around the world and decolonization, and they decided to uh, eliminate that. But General Eisenhower became president, and he believed in Social Security and thought the billionaires actually ought to pay some taxes. Uh, so they had to wait, and then they... Uh, jumped into the political game and pushed Goldwater. Well, they've been organizing since then to take over and destroy the country. And the NRA didn't get into it until um, what they did, the C after they exported industrial capital in the, in the 70s, the CIA started importing cocaine in large quantities. So you could criminalize marijuana and mass incarceration of the people who could not get jobs in the steel mills or electronics industry and stuff. So they created that game plan, and it took them another 20 years before they took over basically almost the whole country. And I had a, a friend back in Chicago when I was at the post office uh, 
a friend in, in a radical group I was with, a black man called T.C. Baldwin, and he was telling the, the local group about some racist incidents he experienced. And he said, call me in dot, 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 dot. Once, it's an incident. Call me in dot, dot, dot. Twice, it's a tendency. Call me in dot, 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 dot. Three times, it's policy. The NRA has a policy of killing people in mass numbers in the streets in Chicago and Baltimore and St. Louis for a decade or two, and now it's everybody everywhere. Get out as many AR-15s as possible. See how many people you can kill. They make more money. It's connected with the hate industry, the stovepipe news industry, creating people who don't know but one way of thinking and the person next to them is someone they have to hate or kill. That is the game plan that's going on now that's similar to how Hitler took over Germany in the 20s. And I, I can give you the whole history of that. But that is the game plan. It's a race war in this country. And the multi-billionaires get richer and richer and richer. Texas says, let's ban doors in schools. What about mental health? He stole $211 million from mental thank, health thank you, out of the Texas budget. Thank you. Thank you. So now we are ready for our uh, proclamations. The first one I'm going to read is a proclamation designating June 2022, excuse me, as L LGBTQ and Pride Month in Longmont, Colorado. Whereas all residents deserve the right to live in a town that respects their dignity, safety, and overall well-being by supporting equality and fair treatment for all. And whereas the city of Longmont has a diverse LGBTQ community that includes people of many backgrounds, identities, and philosophies. And whereas diversity is a community asset that enhances and enriches the lives of all community members. And whereas LGBTQ plus community members have made and continue to make great and lasting contributions to strengthen the fabric of our, of our community. And whereas during the month of June, residents of the city of Longmont are encouraged to honor the history, diversity, and the resilience of the LGBTQ plus communities. And whereas the city of Longmont honors its commitment to the promotion and protection of the human rights of LGBTQ plus residents. Now, therefore, I, Joan Peck, Mayor, by virtue of the authority vested in me in the City Council of the City of Longmont, do hereby proclaim June 2022 as LGBTQ plus Pride Month in Longmont and urge all residents to respect and honor our diverse community and to build and celebrate a culture of inclusiveness and acceptance. Who gets to accept this? Uh, Marty Moore. Do you want to say a few words? Great. Mayor Peck, uh, council members, thank you very much for once again acknowledging uh, this important month for the LGBTQ community. I'm a grateful citizen uh, of the city of, a uh, resident, I should say, 
of the city of Longmont, and I couldn't be more proud of the work that you all do for inclusion, along with your city staff, Harold, and, and the folks who report to him. So thank you. Pride celebration is this Saturday. It'll be from 2 until 6, uh, just down the street on uh, between Emory and Maine on 4th. So we hope you'll all come by. Our mayor will be speaking as we start things off, and there's a visibility mark before that, uh, march before that. So line up on Main Street at time 130 i believe it is so thank you very much would you like a picture of we would Emma? love a picture thank you and Great. kyle caragall is with me he's a new member of outboulder staff So our next proclamation is designating June 2022 as Alzheimer's and Brain Awareness Month in Longmont, Colorado. Whereas Alzheimer's disease is the seventh leading cause of death, affecting more than 76,000 Colorado, Coloradoans among 6.5 million Americans and more than 50 million people around the world. And whereas Alzheimer's disease is a progressive neurodegenerative brain disorder that tragically robs individuals of their memories and leads to progressive mental and physical impairments for which there is currently no prevention or cure. And whereas this disease preys heavily on specific segments of our community, with black Americans twice as likely as whites to develop the disease, Hispanics 50% 50, 50 more likely than non-Hispanic Caucasians, and women account for two-thirds of all people living with Alzheimer's. And whereas the impact of Alzheimer's extends to loved ones of those with the disease, including 159,000 Colorado family members and friends who provided an estimated 184 million hours of unpaid care in 2021 at a value of over $3.7 billion. And whereas the cost to our country in total payments for health care, long-term care, and hospice for people with Alzheimer's disease in 2021 was $321 billion. And whereas the City of Longmont recognizes the efforts of the Alzheimer's Association to raise funds and promote awareness to fight Alzheimer's disease and related disorders, thereby improving the quality of human life for those living with the disease and their care partners and bringing us closer to finding a cure. Now, therefore, I, Joan Peck, Mayor, by virtue of the authority vested in me and the City Council of the City of Longmont, do hereby proclaim June 2022 as Alzheimer's and Brain Awareness Month in Longmont and encourage residents to support those with Alzheimer's and brain disease in the hope that a cure will soon be found. 
This is a great proclamation. Who wants to accept this? Would you like to say a few words? Great. I'm Brandy Queen, Acting Manager of the Longmont Senior Center, and I'm here with Ralph Patrick from the Alzheimer's Association. We appreciate you all making this proclamation um, because not only is there no cure for Alzheimer's or any of the about 130 different types of dementia that we know about, there are also very, very few treatment options. So our organizations are constantly working to try to support family members dealing with these diseases, keep people safe at home, keep families engaged in the community and getting the supports that they need. So thank you for bringing some attention to this. Thank you. Do you want to say a few words? Yes, echoing and um, expanding up upon what Brandy said. Um, the Alzheimer's Association provides our services at no cost to caregivers and people living with dementia. And that includes support groups, educational programs, and care consultations. And I'd love to have the time to be able to share with you some of the anecdotal stories that both Brandy and I have, um, have stored up as a result of working with people. But probably most, if not all of you, have been personally affected in one form or another by this disease. And the Alzheimer's Association is greatly appreciative of you bringing attention to this disease. As one former physician at the Mayo Clinic once said, if we don't find a cure for this disease, or a way to at least slow it down, it will break the system as we know it. Mm. Because the expenses that are related in this uh, resolution are minimal compared to what we see on the horizon. It's going to cost us in the trillions of dollars. Oh so thank you very much for bringing attention to this. And I also want to thank specifically Brandy Queen and the Longmont Senior Center, who just do amazing work. And I know you're aware of that but they host educational programs, they host support groups, and they have encouraged the Longmont community to be a dementia-friendly community. So thank you very much to all of you and to Brandy and the Senior Center. Thank you. Would you like to have a picture of us presenting this to you? Sure. Okay. Now we're at the part that you've all been waiting for. <laughs> we're at the study session uh, items, uh, the inclusionary housing pro program of the 2021 snapshot. Molly, is, is that you? Okay.
Mayor Peck, members of council, I'm Molly O'Donnell, Housing and Community Investment Division Director, and tonight I'm going to be doing a presentation on our 2021 Annual Inclusionary Housing Program Report. So, summary of what I'm going to go over today, a recap of the affordable housing goal, a synopsis of the 2021 Longmont housing market, an overview in, of investments, and an impact on the inclusionary housing program. So since the establishment of the program in 2018, we have achieved 45% of our desired goal of having 5,400 units or 12% of all of our housing stock in Longmont be affordable units. <clears throat> this means we need to create about 200 new affordable homes annually while maintaining and preserving all of the existing affordable homes in order to meet this desired goal. In total, between 22 and 2024, we are projected to exceed the 200, year, 200 units per year goal, but as you can see from 2019 to 2021, uh, that we were not at that 200 mark, so we have some making up to do. Overview of investments. So the city invests local and federal dollars into programs dedicated to advancing our affordable in 2019, we had a fair amount of investment, and that was pretty uh, a steady increase from years prior. 2020, we definitely had a pivot due to COVID and put a lot more of our resources into individual assistance and um, COVID-related impacts. But as you can see in 2021, we are back on the upswing into the affordable housing investment the leveraged funding is highly dependent on development projects, such as LIHTC projects, so it only takes one project to bump up this leveraged funding by quite a lot, um, so uh, it can be very pretty wild, wildly per year. Looking into our Longmont housing market, so the single-person households earning 50% of the area median income and in 2021, that was $43,900 per year or $22.86 per hour for full-time work, have not been able to afford the average rent in Longmont since 2012, and the gap has only grown. Note that the orange bars indicate incomes needed to provide a cushion so that only 33% of income is spent on rent. This means that the entire monthly income of a 50% AMI person cannot even meet the average rent in Longmont in 2021. Median home prices have continued to increase for both attached for sale product at a 5.5% increase and detached for sale homes at an 8.8% increase. 2012 is when a family at 80% of the area median income could no longer afford to purchase the median detached home. And 2015 was when both the 80% area of median income and our city median wage earners could no longer afford the median attached home prices. So here's our summary of uh, new homes sales versus existing home sales. And you'll notice in 2021, the amount of new home sales slowed down. Um, and that does mean that those new homes are closed and recorded in 2021, not necessarily just under construction. Um, but it can be assumed that the record high sales of existing homes was really due to what's been happening in our market in 2021 with the, that's pretty enticing 
the amount of equity that you could gain. So looking to our impact on the inclusionary housing program, we continue to see an increase in the number of affordable homes being built because of the city's continued commitment to investing financial and staff resources into affordable housing programs such as the inclusion program. 24 families made Longmont their home in 2021 to the, due to the inclusionary housing program. We do anticipate a large number of units in the next several years due to the number of projects in the pipeline. So um, we have 10 rental homes and 14 for sale homes. So we did get 24. However, four homes that were under the previous inclusionary zoning program aged out of their affordability period. And so that's why we need to ensure that we maintain and preserve existing units as well as gain new ones to keep progress in a forward direction. So we've seen a 24% increase in the number of developed subject to the IH requirement. The distribution between home ownership type um, for sale or rental projects is fairly close. You can see here that we are seeing a decrease in the number of units being provided on site to meet the IH requirements and an increase in the fee and lieu option. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a moment. But due to the nature of the program methods, you'll see that 2021 and 2022 to date are combined. Next year, you'll see that um, split out again, but we just have a, you know, a tracking issue that we are um, working on getting cleared up. So what is important here is it is clear that the inclusionary housing program is not slowing down development by any means. We're still getting increased the number of developments in progress and with that an increase in IH um, uh, requirements added to those projects. So we've seen a steady increase in the number of developers year over year that select the fee and lieu option with the majority of the rental developments selecting this option. 50% of the developments selected fee and lieu in 2021. The projections for 2022 are 70% and for 2023 are 60%. <clears throat> As you can see, we've had a steady increases since the beginning. Uh, well, I, said, I should say since the, the first time we started collecting fee and lieu since the program started in 2018. Um, you can see though that we have a huge amount of fee and lieu coming if all developments in the pipeline make it through, but that this is an actual calculation based on what is in the pipeline. And our middle tier pipeline, so these are those projects that are including designated middle tier units um, in helping in their IH requirement to reduce their affordable in effect, but these are for designated middle tier units. Information from collected from developers during the design review process a total of 5,825 homes to be housing stock by the end of two of those are expected to be affordable. This does have us on track to meet our 200 year, unit per year goal. And one of those will, 100 of those will be provided in partnership with nonprofits. For middle tier, you can gain 25 units of middle tier that were completed construction in 2021. Uh, we had two other developments in the pipeline, but at this point um, it's looking like construction cost escalation is making that a challenge uh, or they, they may be um, moving to market rate. So information 
2020, 2020 consolidated plan that we do for the CDBG program shows the greatest rental housing need is below 40% area affordable at that income level. This was likely exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic since this data came out before that started. IH rental projects have prim primarily provided 60% area median income units in recent years, but we actually have, we don't have a gap in that, in that um, income range. This is why the city lowered the threshold for affordable units under the inclusionary housing program to 50% of the area median income to try and narrow the target to lower AMIs. You can also see the beginnings of the gap rewidening once you get into the attainable housing ranges. Sales prices keep rising, which trickle down and further stress a lot of aspects of the issues affecting uh, the housing spectrum from, from the lowest to the highest. Additionally, maximum sales prices for for sale units provided under the program have not been revised since 2018 when it was put into place. So that's something we have a priority to address. Something we're also keeping on our radar is watching that when a project is in a um, ideally located place in town near transit, job opportunities, core services, many of the incentives for housing that we provided to their location, and this includes density and height bonuses. So we're seeing a concentration of market rate units in these um, key areas and the fee and lieu being selected instead. Explore how we can further incentivize affordable housing when the other incentives are already baked into the project. We really do want to have units provided on site and provide that mix in those key areas. Fee and lieu is the most popular option very clearly in the program. We'd like to analyze why that is, ensure that the result is best serving the city's affordable housing goals, and as the pot of funding from fee and lieu increases, strategically direct how those funds are being used to further the city's affordable housing goals. And finally, eventually, we would like to see data on who the inclusionary housing program is serving. This is not something that um, has been tracked um, to date, it's, it's, it's our other income and, and data tracking on the affordable housing side, but we really want to know what the characteristics of the households are that are moving into specifically provided under the inclusionary housing. Presentation for now. Councilwoman, uh, thank you, Mayor Peck. Molly, um, well, could you repeat the number of expected collections of fee and lieu in uh, 2024, 25, whichever year you said that was? Thank you. 4.4 million. 4.4 million. And it, what I'm looking for is a comparison of what the city or the LHA um, could produce leveraging that amount of money um, to um, fund with LIHTX, you know, to, to leverage the capital stack to build uh, affordable units that matched our de demographic to 
what could be um, what could be built uh, in lieu and what would be the value and number of the units both ways is an example the project is bringing in 83 affordable units and the city invested 1.875 million um, as part of the capital staff mm. so 1.875 to get 83 units this is not a perfect formula across the board but just for comparison purposes. This I'm is, doing the math this too. Is my, we're doing <laughs> fly. I'm getting 250 or so units uh -huh. leverage, four million using that one project as an example. And that's kind of hard to do because so what what we don't know rising cost in construction so that'll reduce it in terms of on property that you already own, um, it's going to change the equation a little bit. Uh huh. So there's other variables that will come into that calculation. Yeah, I understand. If the expenditures of fee and that you're anticipating, does that be the question? Fee in lieu level, where do we get more units? So currently, um, would you like something we can do? Seven hundred and thirty-two providers, four point four and one point two of fee and lieu altogether, basically. Let's work those numbers yeah. because. It's the immediate is the fee in lieu is is too low, but what are the consequences going to be? And if if choose to build and are they going to choose enough? What we've been actually mulling over. Housing components and what we need to do. People in each other. I want to bit more so we can get you that information. Theoretically, it may be advantageous for someone to to look at building if they can get the prices in where they want them. Build in loop. They're Capital stack is, is looking and bring that back to you. Okay, thank you. Two thousand and twenty four two developments that have moved out of the Reasons we can, you know, predict labor, cost of materials, etc. Um, 
that's the reflection of having units, right? 740 units, if you Mountain Brook plus those out. Well, of the mid-tier options, there were 200 and 100, 300 units that were going to be mid-tier as I recall. pay payment with 4 million, 4.4 reflects. Just so as I, under, as I can process what's the implication of the cost of the range. Uh, it's, we can come up with that number for you as well. It's there. A that's that's not the bulk. See, because I would see right at some point with with attainable or working force or you know, affordable or attainable housing that this just not going to materialize uh, just for market reasons. How much of that shows up in four point four would be helpful to know. Okay. Any other comments? And we're running. To build on, and we have permanently affordable units. Point term out. Of I, I would think that the developer included IZ in their they have the land would be. It wouldn't be to the developer. I don't know. Is that a concern? We won't have any land, and we won't have any affordable. And we get to a point of redevelopment, still apply to the to the net number of units. Um, so there is, you know, considerations to weigh when you're looking at Fian Lu. Uh, Fian Lu is developers in the city then those funds and right. can strategically direct an affordable development rather than have scattered throughout town. Which was the intent <coughs> of the uh, affordable, the affordable, or anyway, the ICO. Yeah, and I think part of what you get is understanding whether the, the and that's on our mind to try to um, talked a little bit about um, certainty, mm -hmm. and when you look at it in terms of a matrix component, a lot of certainty in terms of where they're going to be, what they're going to be able to do in terms of time, mm -hmm. and and so and so that could be driving some of the decisions as well if they're going. Process and, and that and that certainty is really really important for folks, especially in a tumultuous market like mm -hmm. we're in right now. Mm -hmm. uh, Councillor Hidalgo. Okay. Um, thank you, Mayor. So I have a follow up question. So what are some aspects? What what are things that we need to be looking at in the policy that would that certainty sure that more. Um, I think it's a lot of what we've talked about last week in terms uh -huh. of the attainable component, density, um, lot size, those things think are going to over into both affordable and the attainable conversation. 
really understand what they can do. Provides a clarity in terms of you know, the path that they're going to choose. Um, the more that they have to do, I the less likely they are to actually build that product. Um, I'll give you this example again, and I gave it to you last Tuesday, and it was it was part of the flood recovery. and there's 14 units before this was before we they then had to go through the variance process um, and just because of the the uncertainty they go through different review processes they just decided that it was essentially by right uh, couldn't afford in that process and so those are all things on the attainable side I had to be a lot of overlap what we don't want to do in that is is undercut things the suggestions we said is administrative approvals create a lot of safety for folks make it more feasible for them to do certain things. Thank you. So Harold, it was brought up a couple of times that we in, uh, increase the uh, affordable housing 12% uh, to 20. And um, would that increase the uncertainty in the development world? Or would it make a difference in their ability to build versus giving fee in lieu. Uh, if I'm correct, I think Broomfield has a 30%. Sure, what Broomfield has. I was just um, curious as to what impact would that. I think when you look at the capital, I mean, you've got to understand what it's going to look like. Okay. And, and, what what the cost to develop, and so what you know, go on the expense side. You go, what's the land cost? What's the infrastructure cost? Because that expense, it's an affordable and attainable or market rate is pretty much the same. You know, unless you get enough density in that to reduce the actual price per home. Um, as projects right now that are both affordable. And attainable range. I think the impact would be to the that is an added cost to the development. And so when you add that cost to the development, if you're 100% more affordable, that's probably going to push more people into the end loop. Because how is that cost going to really fall, fall into the overall expense? The land cost. And I think we will have a better sense of that in a two or three. Um, we're not to the 12 versus 20, mm -hmm. but here's really what the cost is for an individual unit. And, and how is that going to layer in? And, and that's what we've got to figure out. That would be helpful. And the Broomfield question, they require 10% for for sale product and 20% rental product. 
can be offered at affordable rates. Boulder has 25% of flat. In Boulder County are at, at 12 because the Boulder County set the goal at 12. And um, well, I will double check and see if there is a community at 12. I think might, there might be. So um, <clears throat> that's where I got. I think the person that told me find the affordable attainable. And I guess what you don't know is what are the land costs and, exactly. and, and is that that, to, that moved to 20 because right. if land costs are lower then it may be easier for people to absorb absorb that and that mm -hmm. there's there's so many different components trying to, to do things. Okay. Well, I think this week of your work. Mm -hmm. Thank you for
We're back, and we're ready for our next night of the great studies. Members of Council, I am Raven Martin, Strategic Integrations, and tonight I will be speaking about the wastewater utilities. I will also discuss the rate study purpose, specific factors related to electric and wastewater utility rates, the timeline, as studies. We will ask goals. Studies review of the financial status of these utilities. Part of a rate study is determining the revenue. The revenue requirement operating and capital expenses. Then, once the revenue requirement is that amount is allocated among various classes of customer customer classes. The cost of service analysis then ensures that there is equity among these customer classes. Alternatives are then proposed, which allows us to consider what other goals the council and the community might have, what behavior we would like to incentivize, and how commodities are priced to achieve these behaviors. Rate studies allow the city to ensure that we have sufficient revenue to operate the utility sustainably in the future. There are significant occurring across sectors, as well as chain, which has providing service. 
cost of purchase power has buyers in 2023. Been a significant increase in the metals and construction materials. Additionally, there are state regulations which the city must adhere to in order to retain its wastewater discharge permit. Purchase power from Platte River Power Authority is Longmont is fortunate that PRPA's average wholesale rate is 18% lower than the lowest regional provider. This allows LPC to lower rates for LPC's customers. Last year, council adopted recommended electric rates for 2022 and 2023. The cost of wholesale power was due to macroeconomic pressures. 0.9%. This increase cannot be covered by existing intensive cost of service analysis to set rates for 2024 and 2025. The city wastewater rates were adopted in 2017 on a three-year of long are under growth. It's to these sewer pipe segments build out will cost the city over $46 million. Additionally, the regulation 80, which calls for more for quality standards, more modified. The city's 2018 discharge permit is approval system, which was um, designed in 2021, and the wastewater treatment. This graph is a model for the wastewater fund. The descending black line in the graph represents the for upcoming years at current rate. Current wastewater service revenue will not be sufficient to meet annual revenue requirements, provide service coverage, forming In August, we will be presenting information on cost of service, proposed ordinance, and quarter community investment fee, or ECIF, as well as system water, wastewater, and storage. We want to start sensitive communities' needs and how rate changes will affect them. Decreasing. Longmont Cares, which is in income Rates for water, grocery sales tax, property tax and rent, park and greenway, electricity. And in order to continue to support the community, we continue to enhance this program. Last year, storm drainage rate, rebate was added to Longmont Cares, and the amount of the rebate for electric also increased. As part of we will strive to provide the best services. 
Failure to regulations encourages conservation and while being sensitive with county. Okay, uh, Councillor Waters. Uh, you didn't go on. The um, could go back to eight. Uh, cash position. This is depletion. This is not decline in revenues. This is reserves, right? Okay. That, that I just wanted to clarify that I was interpreting. Um. Uh, unrelated set of variables, but, but what's been part of our conversation is able to do with wastewater diversion, solid waste diversion across uh, recycling, it's composting. Uh, As another, we're going to be talking about <laughs> Mayor Peck, Councilmember Waters. We are not making those changes this year um, be, because there's that ongoing conversation about what those policy changes will yeah. be that will be followed by a rate conversation, probably updated rates in 2024. Okay, that's helpful to know. But I, what what is resonating with me is the message: just bite the bullet, right? Just be tossed. The, the fees or this, the, and it's like when you know this is coming, or like it, um, you know, we got to get the, the gestalt, the big that because we're because we're going to hear a lot, right? We'll, we'll read about it tomorrow, and we're going to start hearing a lot of unprecedented. Well, in, in the last forty years, highest inflation increases, which I get, right? I mean, and we're talking about for the being for the cost of doing business. That along. So if, if I can jump in yeah. to, to part of your question, um, those are the things that we're looking at. Um, I think the point on this one is enterprise funds, the, the two that are that were, that were our, um, wastewater and the electric based on what we're seeing, even when we're seeing those, frankly, across the board to every areas. Part of the decisions that we're actually making right now at some of our capital projects and some of our large capital is based on the cost increases that we're seeing today. Anticipating based on what we're hearing about the possibility of a recession and some other components of some of the expenses um, because we don't have enough revenue that we have in place based I think we are going to have to look at what is this overall burden that we're we're looking at in terms of the community because embedded cost no choice there are just certain things that we're going to be in how are so Harold when we get there what's going to be really helpful us but but mostly 